For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. All right, welcome back. It is episode two of Coaching Chatter. Uh, joining me, as always, uh, Craig Ladd and Kurt Page. Uh, Kurt, excited to announce uh, something big is happening this weekend with your uh, with y'all's new training uh, company, Soar Athletic Training. Uh, Kurt, what's going on this weekend? We have an, our inaugural camp uh, with Soar Athletic Training. We have a football camp for ages fourth grade through eighth grade. We have nearly 50 signed up pre-signees and uh, looking to add numbers on Sunday, September, Sunday, November the 15th, uh, one to three. We're excited. We've got some all-star coaches uh, from the area uh, and also some uh, Super Bowl champions, uh, Jeff Rutledge quarterback and Corey Harris running back. And we're just really excited about getting this program up and started. All right. Well, we're coming to you on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcasting network for professionals. Um, if you want to be, uh, if you want to be a presenting sponsor, let me know. Uh, you can follow me at Coach Burton thirty six on Twitter. Uh, you can also follow my other shows uh, at Believe in Dogs and at Illegal Motion. Uh, the two the two other shows that I am on. Uh, I'm a busy guy. So, Craig, what's going on with you, man? What's the latest? Well, uh, same with Kurt. We're busy, busy, busy uh, getting things prepared for our first camp, and uh, we're really looking forward to it. Uh, been able to get an all-star lineup of instructors, including yourself and yes. uh, Coach Gary Clark. Of course, we all know him. And uh, Jeff Rutledge, as Kurt mentioned, and Corey Harris. Uh, the list goes on. Tim Bryant, uh, Dennis Stallings used to play for the Tennessee Oilers, so – we're really excited about uh, Sunday. Uh, I am uh, praying for good weather. It looks like we're going to be okay, small chance of rain, but we're really looking forward to it. Yeah, it's going to be a great afternoon. Um, looking forward to it, and uh, I, I can't wait to get into it. So, um, well, a, a busy weekend in college football. Um, you know, lots of games that were uh, that were very interesting. Uh, Texas A&M, uh, they, they whooped up on um, – I don't even know who they whooped up on. That was that's South how Carolina. bad it was. That's right. <laughs> yeah. I, I was trying to have mercy for South Carolina, and uh, and say that. But uh, the you know obviously we'll talk about the Vandy game and and just how bad things have gotten there. Uh, Tennessee again, uh, they had a thirteen point halftime lead. Uh, Arkansas's only points came in the third quarter. Uh, they win twenty four thirteen. Also. Uh, the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. We'll get into that as well. So uh, we're going to take a look at the SEC footprint. Um, we might even uh, try to figure out what's going on with the Tennessee Titans. Uh, they finally get a they finally get back in the winning circle after after a two game slide. So uh, they made uh, they made a great move getting Desmond King at the uh, at the trade deadline. He pays uh, he's paid huge dividends in the defensive backfield there. So guys, let's start with the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. Lots to unfold. In that, guys, it was uh, you know Georgia got off to a rousing start, fourteen uh, nothing before they even ran five offensive plays, and uh, the things were looking good. Then Florida does what Florida does; uh, they came back, and then Georgia get a pick six on defense. They score a defensive touchdown, which you know 
that's kind of their identity. And then, uh, then that's when the wheels fell off for the dogs. Uh, I think it was 28 unanswered points uh, for the for the Gators going into halftime, and then uh, the rest is history. Uh, what, what were your instant reactions on that game? What what? How did you guys feel that went? I was going to say, I think uh, this game more than any this year exposed the deficiency uh, at quarterback. Uh, Bennett struggled. Mathis struggled. Um, it was obviously they gave up a lot of points offensive uh, from their defensive side of the ball, but I think it exposed both those quarterbacks, uh, and they made Georgia uh, one-dimensional. And uh, once once they figured out that uh, they couldn't get beat by the pass, being Florida, then it went all downhill from there. I, I was surprised at uh, uh, the avalanche of points and the way Florida just uh, really owned it after it was owned the game after a fourteen nothing. Uh, rousing start, as you said, by by Georgia, including that White with a 75-yard touchdown run on the first play of the game. I, I was surprised that it that uh, it it went downhill that quickly. Yeah, I was too, and and it just seemed like it just seemed like Georgia panicked. They they tried to play into Florida's tempo, which that's never going to work, uh, especially if you have Stetson Bennett at quarterback or even Dewan Mathis. That that's not their game. And I felt like they kind of played right into what Florida does well, which is Florida's fast break offense. They, I mean, that they're a they're a six seven play or less type type of offense. If they can't score in six or seven plays, they're either going to kick it or bad things are happening. And for Georgia's defense, they kept giving up big chunk plays and and they kept giving up you know those shorter drives. And then the offense tried you know they tried to match score with score and they tried to match tempo. And they just couldn't do it, and it, they were like fish out of water. Quarterbacks couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. Uh, tight ends were dropping passes. Uh, Florida's defense was able to settle in against the run uh, and, and kind of shut that down with eight men in the box and, and forcing Georgia to uh, to beat them with the quarterback position. Perfect game plan uh, for Dan Mullen and, and Todd Grantham uh, for this offense. And, and I felt like Georgia panicked a little bit in the second quarter, and that kind of led to that big lead. And then once that big lead was there, I think Georgia finally settled in and, and, and played ball, and but it was a little too late, too little too late. Well, you know, f- football has become a quarterback game. You have to have a quarterback. I mean, the NFL, if you look at the NFL now and you look at the the NFL draft year by year here in the last five years, you keep seeing the top running back falling further and further into the first round. And, and it's also for college football. You've got to have a quarterback. Ask University of Tennessee. I mean, they, they can tell you that also. If you don't have a signal caller that runs the, the offense the way it's supposed to run the offense and takes care of the ball, you're going to have a hard time winning. Yeah, absolutely. And, and with Florida, it, it, I mean, they finally figured it out with Kyle Trask. I think Dan Mullen um, finally figured out what he can do well. And he did it. Um, they they kept running, finding different ways to run the wheel route. I think they hit the back at least nine times. Uh, something that Georgia's Georgia's never really given up big plays from a running back. Um, and it was all. I mean, granted, it was mostly in the passing game, but uh, you know, with some key injuries um, loomed larger than than we thought, it, given the depth that Georgia had with guys already rotating in. But you you put those guys in pressure situations communication breaks down, tackling breaks down, fundamentals break down, then you have bust and coverage, and then you have wide open wheel routes, and you have Kyle Pitts matched up one-on-one with somebody, which that's never a good idea. So, Kurt, I mean, how do you, you know, what, what 
what did Georgia do? Uh, what, what could have Georgia done against the wheel route there in the second quarter to kind of keep this game tighter? Well, I guess they, they could have went to more zone defense. I think they really try to stay with their MO, and that's man to coverage. Uh, and when you do that, uh, you explain it very, very well. Just you get matched up, and it's all about matchups. And I think uh, the offensive coaches for Florida just got got to the guys and had better matchups than Georgia could defend all day long. And in that case, you have to probably get out of the main coverage, and they, they refuse to do that, as we all know. Yeah, and and that's you know that's kind of been their bread and butter's man coverage, and then they they bring heat and they couldn't get home on on the on the blitzes and, and their man coverage was breaking down, um, and then those wheel routes were exploiting uh, the the man coverage because the guy on the short side would would run across the field either a deep cross post or something to clear that corner out, and all of a sudden here comes that back right out right out there and trash just floated it to him twenty yards. Here we go down the field. Um, also, what what hurt Georgia was not having Jordan Davis in the middle. You know, he he is a huge dominant force, and and our, and our guy Zion Lowe played admirably, but not but he is not close to the level that Jordan Davis is yet. And and I mean, the sky's the limit for Zion. But you know, to match the ability of Jordan Davis, who's going to be, I think he's a day two NFL draft talent, but probably won't get drafted on day two because uh, it's hard pressed to find nose guards drafted that high, but. Um, he will be a force in the NFL. Uh, don't get me wrong on that, um, but that that was a huge loss uh, for this defense. And you know, again, they were able to run the ball a little bit more effectively and, and create and stay ahead of the chains. I think that's a great point you made for because Kelly Trask—that's his launch point. It's right behind the center. I mean, he's five and a half, seven yards right there every play. He doesn't move the pocket, and that center push right there was. Uh, just wasn't there at all that in that game, and that's where he, that's his launch point. Yeah, and the, and, and it, he creates a, he creates a long path for those outside guys. Ojalari couldn't get to him. He was he was just short every single time. Got a couple shots on him, uh, but Trask was able. If, if Trask is able to stay on his on his spot, he's deadly. Um, it's moving. It's getting him off his point where he kind of panics. He, he's not good on the run. He's not good if he if you flush him. And what Georgia has done the past two seasons. Uh, was get the quarterback off the spot from the interior with guys like Jordan Davis uh, and, and Malik Herring, things like that. So they weren't able to get that, so he was able to pick us apart. So um, one of the things I was impressed with with Dan Mullen was, was I mean, it, it was very Spurrier-esque where uh, it's very simple concepts, but he's going to run it out of 20 different looks and, yeah. and keep you off balance. And, and that's what I, I really like, just the use of formations and putting guys in different spots and moving guys around, condensing the formation, spreading it out, you know, overloading one side, you know, all different variations of very of the very simple wheel concept. So that, that, that kind of stood out to me as well. Well, and Corey, you, you say this, you know, every, the beginning, the first game of the year, Florida goes to Texas A&M and loses, uh, everyone thought that was a bad loss. Obviously, now you look at it and you've got Texas A&M, number seven team in the country, and it doesn't look like a bad loss anymore. And obviously with this win, that puts them in the driver's seat uh, to face the the West champion, which we all know is going to be Alabama, uh, in the SEC championship game. Yeah, it's a shame Alabama couldn't get A&M now. Uh, to, to get a true look at them, I think I think A and M at the time they played Bama, we're still trying to figure a lot of things out, and and I think they've figured a lot of those things out. I think Kellamond has settled in, has played great uh, since that Alabama game. Uh, really, since that Florida game, he kind of ignited and he hadn't looked back since. And 
just the just the dynamic has shifted out there in College Station. They're they're having more fun now. They're they they've got more rhythm. They're playing more together. They they've got a great game plan uh, going on uh, out there in, in College Station, and that led to a forty eight to three thrashing of of the Gamecocks. So. You know what? What has changed mostly? Uh, is there anything else that's changed with with Texas A and M? Are they doing anything differently, or are they just kind of playing more together? Well, I, th- I think the big thing too is they're in, they're in, uh, involving a lot of different people in their game. Uh, offensively, I know a lot of touches from the running back, the tight ends, and their wide receivers, and they're they're spreading the ball around. And Kelly Mond is also running; he's using his legs again. And and Jimbo Fisher has decided to just to. You know, let, let's go for it. Let's get after it and let's play wide open. Let's play that wrecking crew defense as well. So, and they're letting fans come in the stands. You know, there's a lot of complaining about that. But out in Texas, you know, they're they're free willing and dealing out there. So they've got huge crowds and a lot of momentum. The twelfth man is getting strong. And uh, you know, we all knew this season was going to be an indicator, and it just happened to be. Uh, it just took a little longer than we thought. We were hoping it would happen earlier in the season, but we're glad to see Texas A&M Aggies stir it up and get it going. Yeah, no doubt, Craig. What what do you see in, in College Station? A lot of what Kurt said. I you know I really got to see the uh, Florida game at the beginning of the year, and I, I I was really impressed by Mon, and the the rushing attack was very potent in that ball game, and they they got really good defensive line play, uh, pressured the quarterback, and uh, just seemed to be clicking on all cylinders. You know, it, it just takes a little while for. Uh, good coaches to be able to get their teams up to speed. And, you know, it looks like Jimbo has accelerated the the situation there in Texas A&M, and, and they are playing very, very well right now. I was, I was surprised that they beat South Carolina as bad as they did in Columbia. But I also think that's an indicator of uh, maybe how bad uh, South Carolina has uh, fallen down as the seasons have come along. One coach I'd like to, to point out and spotlight is the offensive coordinator, Daryl Dickey from Texas A&M. I've known him for a long, long time. He was a, a quarterback at Kansas State, uh, played against him, and then also actually followed him. He was a grad assistant at Texas A&M for Lynn Amity and actually uh, followed him. He, he went from there. He's been at Memphis. Uh, he's had outstanding running backs at Memphis. He's put a couple of those guys in the NFL right now. So that was a big pickup for Jim Fisher to get him to go from Memphis to Texas A&M. And uh, he's done a great, great job for those guys. And uh, he's incorporated a uh, faster brand of football. They're running some uh, – uh, it's a combination of an inside and outside zone. It's more of an upfield zone blocking scheme. If you really study it, it's a new thing that they're doing. They did a lot of it in Memphis uh, with their running back so they could hit the ball downhill and also plug in an H-back, a fullback. But I see Jimbo Fisher uh, starting to incorporate some of those things that Daryl Dickey has really – uh, uh, made uh, made Memphis a, a, a national power in the running game, especially in, in the American Athletic Conference of past few years. Yeah, I mean yeah. they they've had a renaissance there for sure on the offensive side of the ball. I I I've kind of looking at how they play, and and it's just very everything's everything clicks right now, and and it just seems like it just seems like it's very simple. Um, but again, I think things have you know things have evolved there, and, and Jimbo has kind of evolved out of his what even what he did with Jameis Winston uh, down at Florida State. So uh, it's good to see um, Texas A&M being good uh, is good for the SEC. So um, you know, hats off to Jimbo is doing a tremendous job. Hope he can keep it up. 
Um, hopefully, hopefully COVID doesn't catch up uh, with, with all of that. But let's look at the flip side of that. You know, with South Carolina, things are unraveling and unraveling fast. Well, I, you know, I happened to look this up before we started uh, the, this uh, uh, show. And, you know, Jimbo Fish, uh, excuse me, uh, Will Muschamp is making $4.4 million this season. And uh, if they decide to pull the trigger on him, it's going to cost South Carolina $13.2 million to buy him out. I'm sure somebody with, will pony that up. Well, you know, you, you say that, and I agree with you, but – the fact that all these athletic departments are going to be losing astounding amount of money. Uh, you know, I, I said this on the first podcast, I think the university of Tennessee, it's come out that they're going to lose their estimating $147 million because of football and, and they're not alone. I know, uh, you know, South Carolina has got to be up there close to that. That also, that's going to factor in to, Okay, can we can we pony up thirteen point two million dollars to get rid of this guy and get somebody else? It's going to be very interesting when it comes down to the end of the year to see what happens here. You know, you can also point north to Michigan. What's going to happen with Harbaugh? Same sort of scenario. Are they willing to buy him out to get him Harbaugh out of there bolts. if it comes to that point? I think he goes to the NFL. I think he's been itching to get back to the NFL. I don't know if the shine has worn off on him by any stretch, but I think he's itching to get back to the NFL. His last stint in the NFL, he he went to a Super Bowl before he came back to Michigan. So teams might like the Jets might be willing to take a chance on him. Who knows? So I, I think the Michigan situation is gonna they're gonna be replacing him, uh, not because they fire him, uh, but they're gonna be uh, they're gonna be relieved that he bolts for the NFL and they don't have to buy him out. Hey, and, and, you know, I did some research on this, guys. The uh, I would say the top pick at this point, if Michigan has to decide to go that way and get a new coach, maybe a guy that also has Ohio roots like Bo Schimbeckler, also was an assistant at one point at Ohio State uh, like Schimbeckler, and that would be Luke Fickle. That would Cincinnati. be a home run. That, yeah. I, I would say if, if Kirby Smart moved on from Georgia to take on whatever he took on or if we fired him or whatever the case may be, if, if Kirby Smart was no longer at Georgia, Luke Fickle would probably be the first call I'm making. Well, the similarities between he and Bo Schindler is it's incredible. As I said, they're both born in Ohio. Both were assistants at Ohio State. Uh, Schindler played for Woody Hayes at, at Miami of Ohio. Schindler was head coach at Miami of Ohio before he took the Michigan job. You got Fickle, as I said, born in Ohio, assistant in Ohio State. He played at Ohio State, and he's the head coach at Cincinnati. So that's do you swallow your pride at the University of Michigan and pull the trigger on Ohio Ohio guy again? Yes, because he makes you competitive. I, I don't care about this whole and Michigan, he, Michigan and, man And thing. he has that fire because he was in that seat as Ohio State's acting head coach for a season. So you know he's going to get those Michigan Wolverines a little bit fired up. And also yeah. about South Carolina, I, I think they're going to pull the trigger because they just put, I think it was $100 million, I'm looking at it here online, of uh, the brand-new football operations center there at South Carolina, and I think they want to put a better uh, product out there every Saturday, and this is getting the recruits to come in there, but under Muschamp's guidance, I think it's a done deal. I think he's toast, and I look for uh, I look for a guy that was at Ole Miss, and we're all familiar with this guy and know what he's doing at Lynchburg, Virginia, for Liberty. And the guy's undefeated, seven and zero. 
And uh, I would say he'd be their first call, and I think he would make it make it a – he'd turn that program around instantaneously, just like Spurrier did and Lou Holtz. He brings in the name and credibility, and I think he'll do a great job there. Does his character have give you any pause? Uh, because his judgment, you know, calling prostitutes on a university cell phone, does that give you any pause at all? I think he's served his time. Uh, I think the wins will take care of that. He's been three years removed from that, three years removed from NCAA violations, uh, cleared of all those charges. Um, I think, you know, I think first to cast a stone I hadn't seen before, so I think the guy's done done his deed, and, uh, you know, I think he'll be on his best behavior from here on out, without a doubt. Well, there's no doubt he's going to be a hot commodity coming out. I mean, his name's associated with a lot of programs that – have been struggling uh, this season. And and as you said, Corey, uh, is South Carolina willing to, I guess, potentially, who knows, uh, have something else come up again? And they know the baggage is there with what it is. But also, that athletic department, that football program, program funds a lot of things in a university, not only other sports, but also academically. And, you know, uh, these guys are willing to take a chance because this is, you know, football, it, obviously in the South, is the big revenue maker, and it runs a lot of things in a university. Yeah, it does. Um, it does. And, and I think it's, you know, the, the decisions have to be for the betterment of the program. And, you know, I think South Carolina's got to do, if they have a chance to get somebody like that, that will bring instant credibility and, and provide a jolt to their program. You know, I, I think you got to do it because in the long run, you know, you're going to recover. Um, so in the long run, I, I think it's, it's, it's a worthy investment. Um, if Hugh Freeze can, if Hugh Freeze has truly uh, rejuvenated himself or renewed himself or refound himself, whatever, however you want to describe it, I think it's, you know, I think it's a worthy investment to, or, or a shot that you got to take if you're South Carolina, uh, because, you know, what else do you have to do? I mean, you know, since Spurrier left, your program's been just completely trash. And, and uh, you know, you, you've been slightly competitive, but not much. So you got to take the chance, you know, and, and character or no character. I mean, you, you know, no risk. As uh, Bruce Arian says, no risk it, no biscuit. And, and in South go. Carolina's case, they got to risk it. I mean, could Hugh Freeze – you know, dive back into, you know, he's in a powerful seat in the SEC. Could he dive back into some of those old tendencies? I don't know. Maybe. Who knows? Um, could he Could he be completely uh, flipped around and, and, and be on the good end? Maybe. But uh, but we don't know. You only, you only know if you put him in that position. And you can't find out unless you put him in that position. And for South Carolina, I would say that's a worthy risk. You know, for there's some programs that probably don't need to take on that risk, but South Carolina is definitely one that does. Well, I'll tell you what South Carolina better hurry up and do before Auburn pulls the plug on Gus and the bus because the the program that they don't want Hugh Freeze to lead because he will be a nightmare for Alabama every year, that would be Auburn. If he goes to Auburn, they become – I mean, my God. So that, uh, they've got the stuff in place. Those are two people. So if I was South Carolina, I would have already – I'd have pulled a talk. Got him off the plane and said, look, you're done. Put in Mike Bobo, acting interim head coach. Let's ride down the street and get who frees now before Auburn. Because I think Gus Bus has already left the building, and I look for Hugh Freeze 
that's where he wants to go. That's who he wants to be. He wants to be in that Auburn-Alabama rivalry. He tried to create that with Ole Miss and Alabama, and he, and he dominated at times. And, and over the years, as you all know, talking with EJ Jr. and other people, Alabama's always had a tough time with Ole Miss, always. But uh, he, would be, he would be something else at Auburn. I know the people here in Alabama, they're really hoping that will happen. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I see people with, with Tennessee, they're fed up with Pruitt. So, um, you know, his latest uh, his latest antics, not only did he get destroyed and embarrassed and, you know, slapped in the face against uh, versus Kentucky 34 to, what was it, 34 to 7, um, they they blow a, uh, a first half lead where they were, it looked like they were in control of the game, 13 nothing. You know, they had chances to blow that thing wide open. They didn't, uh, but it looked like they were still in control for the most part. Um, and, and could have probably hammered away in the second half. But, again, uh, I guess the word of the day is unraveled. They, they unraveled. They, they fell apart. Uh, uh, Arkansas, uh, led by Sam Pittman, who I think should be SEC Coach of the Year, um, blew up for 24 points in the third quarter, and that's all they needed. Uh, they were able to stave off uh, three different Vols quarterbacks in the second half. So things are getting interesting for Pruitt. That that seat is definitely heating up if it's not red hot already. Well, apparently in, in these last four games, uh, they are playing video. The players are playing video games during halftime because they have been outscored eighty-eight to seven in this in the second half during this four-game losing streak. Twenty-seven to nothing against Georgia, seventeen nothing Kentucky, twenty to seven Alabama, and then as you mentioned, twenty-four to nothing against Arkansas. I mean, where's the halftime? Where's the halftime adjustments, guys? I, but, I've told you guys, Jim Chaney, it ain't there for him. It's just something else. I mean, it's just uh, – that's just unexplainable. Um, Corey knows that. He's coached a lot of ball, and he's seen a lot of good football, and that's just – I mean, if anything, you make a point to, to really – if anything, you hold back something in the first half – so you share it in the second half. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know what their what their game plans are going into the week. But obviously, they've done a good job in preparation. But then, like you said, making those uh, side adjustments and those things, and there must be a disconnect. The players um, just can't. Just I don't. I don't. I've never seen it. That those are staggering numbers. I'm they're not bought. They're not bought in. Uh, they don't. They don't believe that that. You know, Garantano can lead him for four quarters. They don't believe that Jim Chaney can put him in a good position to win. And and Barry Odom just freaking outcoached him uh, and dominated him in the second half. And, and uh, you know, they made plays. Tennessee didn't. And, you know, we know what we got in Garantano. At this point, you've lost four in a row, Tennessee. Just throw Harrison Bailey out there. What's it going to hurt? Just throw him out there. You can't get much worse. I mean, Getting shut out in the second half, you can't you can't score negative points. Um, you know that doesn't happen in football. If it did, Tennessee well, would probably find a way to do it. But yeah, well, one of the things I, I think you're seeing leadership uh, rise and, and lack of leadership actually with Coach Pruitt. Uh, some of his comments about offensively pushing the ball down the field, uh, doing this, doing that, and he's just you know a lot of that stuff you know you just need to call the man out or fire the man you know or take over the play calling or switch somebody in the play calling you know you know he just needs to man up i listened to some of his zoom comments and uh it's well documented about you know game plan and how to you know we got to run the ball we got to throw the ball downfield we got to be creative 
all those things, you know, uh, make the change. You're the head coach, you know. Uh, it's your job and responsibility as, as the leader to, to, to step up there. And like you said, put in, put in the rookie, put in the freshman. Let's say we're going to ride you the whole game. You know, don't pull moving chairs on and give him a game or give him two. Or give him, give him an opportunity. So they don't, none of them know where they stand. When you're making these crack shots on Zoom, uh, you're, you're, you're not doing a good job for leadership and, and it's showing up big time. And I, I hate it for, uh, I hate it for Tennessee. I hate it for those players because we've all sat in those rooms, been part of that. That's just no fun to be a part of that. Yeah, well, think, Georgia. If you're listening, also make a change at quarterback. <laughs> well, I, I think the fact that you know towards the end of the game, where they uh, Bailey was in the game doing some dinking and dunking, and uh, they went down the field at a fourth and four, and instead of uh, him uh, calling out Samaglia to kick a field goal, and he was two for two. Uh, on longer distances during that game, he he decides to go for it on the fourth and four. The field goal, if he makes it, would have cut the lead to eight points. But he decides to go for it. They don't make it. They have no chance. They have no shot after that. At that point, uh, really questionable. And then his reasoning was was really sketchy. That's a great point, Craig. I mean, that's that's the thing we're looking for. We're looking for leadership, looking for game management. We're looking for a head coach. I mean, that is a – you know, sometimes you can be a great defensive coordinator and, and, and that's, that's your lane. And he probably needs to get back in that lane as such as Will Muschamp. Those guys are great defensive coordinators and they can make a long – a lot – and they've already made a lot of money, but they can make a long career out of that, being defensive coordinators in this league for many, many years. I look for both of those guys to – be in those uh, roles next year very, very soon. Yeah, no doubt. And Derek Mason, too. I think Derek Mason's going to head off to the Pac-12 um, if they can afford to, to get rid of him. Um, I think he'd make a hell of a defensive coordinator. Just things that you don't have responsibility for if you're a defensive coordinator, you can you can do. And it frees you up to actually be a coach and not just a CEO. And those guys just love them to death, but they're not CEOs. And Jeremy Pruitt, proving that every day. Um, and and he might be he might be the defense coordinator of Alabama next year. Who you know he'll go right back to Saban or he'll he'll find something. Um, but yeah, I, I just think it's you know I don't know where this connect is. I don't know why. Um, you know I I don't know at this point where you don't throw caution to the wind and say, look guys, we're on a four game skid. Let's you know let's do something. Let's let's get back in this game. Let's let's take a chance. Let's take a risk. I, I mean I don't really mind him going for it at that point. Um, because you're, again, you're taking, you're taking a risk and you're taking a risk for, you know, that could pay off with a big play or, I mean, it's going to pay off with a big play either way, either big play for Arkansas or big play for Tennessee. Um, and if they hit and if they convert that fourth down and they, and they score and convert it to, you know, and cut the lead down to a field goal, you know, we're sitting here talking about, oh man, how, how risky is that? You know, uh, you know, hats off the. Jeremy Pruitt, you know, if he if he goes out and wins that game based on that fourth and four call, so I mean, it, it's a very thin line with that. I mean, I, I understand, yeah, you got to take points when you can take points in this league, but you know, again, you're on a four game skid, so the flip side of that is, well, we got to take we got to take some big risk. I mean, we, we got to have some some big payoff because, you know, in, in the long run, that that stuff is what builds confidence. So, you know, one way, half dozen another. Uh, there's a whole bunch of different ways you can look at it. Um, I don't really know what his explanation was. Uh, that might have been what soured people on that decision. Who knows? Um, but, uh, you know, I agree with Craig, though. I mean, you got to take points when you can. And, and if, if you're struggling, you know, that's always a good idea as well. But, 
you know, you never know how it's going to go. So, you know, what, whatever you got to make it, you got to make a decision in, in a split second, but uh, that doesn't, that doesn't negate the point that, or that uh, that does not negate the fact that I think that Jeremy Pruitt is, has really gone downhill in his leadership abilities uh, because I, I think the way this offense is run, I think the way this offense has been allowed to be run is just kind of, okay, we're going to be good for the first quarter, but then you get a good defense coordinator. Where's all the adjustments? You know, where's all the counter punches? You know, you recruit guys at a high level. So, you know, it's not a talent issue. Like there's some coordinators that can make all the adjustments in the world, but they can't overcome, overcome the talent gap. Uh, and, and then there's some that have the talent gap in their favor and they can't adjust uh, because a, a great defensive coordinator with lesser talent is kicking your, you know what? And that's what Arkansas was. You know, Arkansas didn't have the talent Tennessee does, but they whipped him in the third quarter. They shut him out and they scored a whole bunch of points on him. I mean, they got a couple guys that could, that could start for Tennessee, but that's about it. I mean, Felipe Franks, Probably is in the same boat as Jared Garantano. Like he, like he ain't great by any stretch. But then again, Kendall Bryles has done a good job of cultivating him and doing what he does well. I thought Kendall Bryles has handled Felipe Franks way better than Dan Mullen ever could. Well, it's going to be similar to if you want to get rid of Pruitt. It's going to be similar to to Muschamp. Sixteen million, right? Six, yeah, money wise, uh, you yeah. he signed a six year deal worth twenty two point eight million dollars. Uh, when he was hired in, uh, in December of 2017. And you can't forget, too, that Tennessee is still paying Butch Jones. They fired him in November of 2017. They owed him $8.26 million. They are paying him monthly until February 28th of 2021. So do you want to have three coaches you're paying for by the end of the year? <laughs> I mean- I don't know. <laughs> one get off the one get off the payroll. Butch Jones, when does he get off, Craig? Twenty twenty one. February. So you'll pay him two more months, so he'll be done, and you just go <laughs> on for it. Uh, they'll, they'll have to do that. They're going to have to make a change. Uh, you know, that Tennessee's too 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 good of a program, and, and really the whole the whole setup, the way they had to bring Former in and and the AD, and and this is like a I don't want to say a mulligan, but you know, let's let Let's let Coach Former uh, do his due diligence now. Study. He studied the landscape. He knows what's out there. He knows what'll work at Tennessee. And let's let him go get the next head football coach because he came in. You know, the AD was flying around, and the president didn't support this. And the boot man, what, what, what? There was all. Uh, I mean, about twenty other coaches were flown in there and offered job. And just, I mean, Craig, you're very connected to the UT program, and you know that was a it was all a, I mean, it was fumbled from the start and it picked up and then let, let's, let him, let's let him go get the coach and give him time and let's go get the guy that's the best fit for university football. And that'll make a lot of people happy. Guys, that, that football program, Tennessee listed a $13.8 million loss in the athletic department of the 2018 physical year. Of that, Eleven point five million was in football buyouts. At what point do you, does does do you do you say enough is enough? I get it. And guess what, guys? That money is not going to be made up this year by any stretch. You're going to lose, as I said, the the figure of one hundred forty seven million that you're going to be losing on the football program. 
again, it's a financial situation. It's a state university. You know, uh, people are losing their jobs, you know, have lost their jobs, they're out of work. And, uh, you know, the only way they can get uh, the makeup for part of this is have their taxes increase because that's the state university. Well, the big thing about going in and you, you've got to ask these questions to the benefactors of UT football, of South Carolina football, and I'll put Auburn in there. The benefactors, the guys and the families that have historically funded the whole thing and really been behind them in, in a lot of areas, do they like what the products they're making? And if they say no, they will get the money at all three of those institutions. Because if they don't, they're going to have to make this decision. It's not going to get any cheaper to make this decision next year. I mean, is it going to get worse? Because which, who are these people going to uh, alienate themselves? Or who's not going to give the money this year because of the product they're seeing and the, and the lack, of, uh, lack of direction? I mean, a lot of times if you have a head football coach at an SEC and he has the power and the charisma to, to convince guys to, to buy in and to stay involved and we're going to turn this around, and he can make a sales call to those guys and they'll do it. But I don't see any one of those three guys doing that. And they know they got their payday. I would pay them and cut them loose and uh, move on to the next guy. And then, but I would restructure these contracts in the future. And you're going to see that. I heard Rick Newhouser talking about it earlier uh, this week about how that's going to probably, it's going to be a little different in the, in the landscape because, uh, you know, it's just, it's just a different time, and I think that's going to be helpful for the, the institutions and ultimately helpful for the coaches as well. Yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. They've got to, they've got to come to the boosters. They've got to find booster support. They've got to, you know, they've got to do whatever it takes. And if you have a booster, and even Vandy, Vandy has enough money to do whatever they want to, at, at, you know, with, with the donors that they have. You know, if they really wanted to, they could go to administration and say, hey, Here's here's the buyout. Let's let's get a new coach in here. Um, and if I'm going to give you this money, I expect to see X Y Z stadium upgrades, locker room upgrades. You know, I, I expect to see a presence within within athletics because football drives culture. And and it's you know, there's been other universities that has shown that you can mix athletics and and academics. USC, it's a private institution. Athletics is thriving. Academics is thriving. They have a great film school. They have a great business school. You know, they have a great they have great programs. Uh, Stanford, it's a little bit different, but you know, they're they're the, they're in the academic world. Uh, they're they're big boys in the academic world. Uh, they're private and 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 they make they make athletics work. Um, they're successful in most of the things they do, even though they've cut eleven programs. But I think that's more due to COVID. Um, is Virginia? There are they public or are they private? Private. They're making it work. They're a great basketball program. Their football program's on the rise. They they've got the right guy in Bronco Mendenhall. He's slowly right. building that thing. Uh, Duke, are they pub, uh, are they private That's too? Private. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, what do we know about their basketball program? Legendary. They, they hired some guy named Mike Shashevsky, who for ten <laughs> who years nobody could say almost got fired. <laughs> yeah, almost got fired in, their, in their, his early tenure. That's right. Yeah. They, they made a documentary about that, uh, about yeah. the class that saved, uh, the, the class that saved coach K and, you know, they stuck with him. They, they finally said, okay, we believe what you're doing. They gave him the resources to, to do it. And he finally paid it off. Now he's the most successful, one of the most successful basketball coaches in NCAA history. Uh, so things like that can exist, right? 
it doesn't have to be academics or right. athletics. It can be both. You know, Vandy Vandy baseball, they put a little bit of money in Vandy baseball, they go off and win the College World Series, and then they're competing every year. You know? yeah, it, uh, let, me say, let me say this about Vanderbilt. I, you know, it, it, what you're saying, Corey, makes sense, but the last AD who sounded like you is no longer there. Correct. Great point, and, and part of the reason he's no longer there is because they felt like he was spending too much money. So – you know, it, it's it starts from the chancellor down at, at Vanderbilt. If you, you got to put a little heat on the chancellor. That's right. Well, there is a new chancellor there. We'll see what happens. But in the past, yeah, no, I get it. it they got to put a little it heat. It was a sec. It was a, it was an afterthought. The athletic Whatever. department and 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 I'm sitting here preaching to the choir because Kurt was in the middle of it. He knows uh, it, it's been an afterthought. Uh, they have sat back and handed had their hand out. And taking the SEC bowl money and the SEC money and just taking it and put it in their pocket instead of turning around and having improvements to facilities. Like there's no wow. reason that stadium shouldn't be better. Um, oh, absolutely, great point. Well, my understanding was that Dave McWilliams, the the AD for a number of years, raised an enormous amount of money for that leg department, and then uh, he was ready to retire and leave them with that money to do what was necessary. And unfortunately, uh, you know, I know y'all know this, but he died. I mean, the the, the day he was going to have a retirement party and it's just a very, very sad situation. We pray for his soul. But the big thing was he left them this money. They hired a new AD and they went through that money within a year and really didn't pursue the things that were necessary. I mean, millions and millions of dollars were spent uh, in inappropriate ways. As we can see, nothing happened to the stadium. Nothing happened to the indoor inner inner uh, workout facilities. Uh, there were a few locker room upgrades, uh, a little a little bit to the baseball facility, but that really got a lot of people uh, in hot water. And I think it started, and that's why we replaced the chancellor, and that's why we replaced the athletics director. So we do have new leadership, and I think we're going to see a, a, a new coach in there very very soon, leading our football program as well. And, uh, and I believe in Jerry Stackhouse and basketball and, of course, Tim Corbin. I look for Tim Corbin to eat, also maybe uh, entertain uh, more of a leadership role, athletic-wide, uh, in some capacity. I really pushed for that. I pushed for that last time. I look for him to gain uh, some influence in that area because when you have a successful program, whatever sport it might be, those same traits can be uh, changed into another lane, another sport. And I look for that to happen. So I look for exciting things to happen for 2021 for Vanderbilt University, for Auburn, for University of Tennessee football, for South Carolina football, because we all know uh, the SEC is strong from top to bottom. And we got to get back to that being that type of league and not a not a league where, you know, we have one or two uh, top performers. And we, we need to have, you know, double digit uh, teams that are strong nationally in, uh, in football and and that's our footprint, and that's what we're going to work toward, and that's what we all love. I mean, with Georgia, uh, your background with Georgia, Corey, and Tennessee with yours, Craig, and mine with Vanderbilt, and I was blessed to live in some other states as well and see and be a Texas A&M Aggie for two years as a grad assistant. We know how strong the SEC is, and we want to get it back to there. And that's the, the beauty we're getting able to do here with this chatter about coaches and the footprint. Yeah, no doubt. 
And, you know, you, you, you hope to see that, you know, to make a strong league stronger, you know, you, you've got to figure out how to replace those moving parts, restructure contracts, get get things in places that they need to be, um, get Vanderbilt in the place that they need to be to be competitive and, and not just some pathetic doormat uh, that they are right now. And and places like Mississippi State where I, I don't know if the Pirates going to work there. I, I hope he does for his sake, uh, for their sake. But, you know, if it doesn't, pull the plug. You know, Lane Kiffin seems to be uh, making the right moves at Ole Miss. He's, you know, he's got a pretty good rebuild project on his hands. Um, you know, and, and whoever takes over Tennessee is going to take over. I, I feel like take over Goldmine. Um, you know, I feel like whoever takes over South Carolina is going to have a little bit of work to do. But, you know, offensively, you have some guys that can play. We just don't know who they are yet. And and so that's, you know, that's going to be an undertaking there. Um, then you have Auburn who, I mean, they're Auburn. You know, they, they've never recruited poorly. So whoever steps into that job is, you know, day one competitive with Alabama. I mean, they're already competitive with Alabama now. Um, it's just a matter of doing that year in and year out. And so I'm excited to see um, who falls where. Does Luke Fickle, uh, does he last at um, at Cincinnati or does he come this way? Um, does the guy at Coastal Carolina, does he get a shot somewhere? I mean, he wouldn't be a bad candidate for for uh, for the Gamecocks uh, or for Vanderbilt. Does Will Healy get back into the mid state? Um, does he get a shot? He's he's made Charlotte football somewhat competent, which they were. I mean, the incompetence there was you know there were some right. high school teams that could probably give them a run. Um, but uh, you know, who, I, love, who, I love Craig's early analogy of Blue Fickle and. Uh, and that Michigan uh, Wolverine, I think he'd be a great fit. And I think Corey Burton, you're right on it with uh, Harbaugh. I mean, what what a guy. I mean, I think he would be an outstanding mentor for a guy like, uh, you know, New York Jets for, for a quarterback. Who, I don't, I'm not sure who they're going to get. Sam Darnold. Yeah, for that guy to step in unless they wanted to, you know, let him entertain, either make a decision, we want to keep Sam Darnold, or do we want to trade him? You know, for some draft picks and surround, you know, go get the first round pick. You know, they, uh, they need draft picks. I mean, I, I don't know that getting Trevor Lawrence is going to help help their cause very much. They need a lot of help in a lot of different places. I, I wouldn't mind seeing them trade out, uh, trade down a little bit, acquire picks, and just get bodies in there um, yeah. and and continue to build. I mean, they the the guys that they have in the last couple of drafts that they've drafted with Joe Douglas in his second year as GM. Those are the guys that are actually playing well for the Jets. The problem is there's not enough of them, and a lot of them have been hurt. You know, they almost beat the Patriots, who, I mean, the Patriots are they're obviously tanking right now. They've had a lot of opt-outs. But, again, it's still the Patriots, um, and, and they were competitive with them. Uh, they, they had them on the ropes for uh, uh, several times. But those guys were finally, their nucleus was finally all available. Denzel Mims is starting to make an impact. He's a rookie out of Baylor. Um, Jamison Crowder, the guy they signed from the Redskins, had a lot of injury concerns. He's finally ha- has a long run of, of healthy games. He's making a huge impact. Prashad Perriman, who was who was uh, dead to rights out of the league, uh, is is making a resurgence. Uh, he, he was drafted by the Baltimore Ravens. He had out of Central Florida. He had one of the fastest forty times um, in, out in the combine. Duke, he's a great receiver. Perriman ran a great route, a little stop and go for a touchdown. Darnold yeah. can make all the throws. I think you make a great point for for him. The retention of Gase. Sam Darnold. Yes, Gase is the problem. Uh, running back, Michael Piron. I don't know if he's a long term solution, but hell, you can you know third fourth round get another guy. 
Yeah, get another running back in there. You know, get Zamir White or get whoever. You know, wh- whichever running backs are are dominating college football right now. You probably get him in the second, third round and be be just fine at that position. You know, I don't know if P. Ryan is your your bell cow. I don't know if there. I don't know if that exists anymore. You know, I, I think I think every great team has a running back duo. Right. And one thing we need, to, we need to look at for in the future is uh, our talk about how we're gaining momentum, how also all of a sudden maybe the SEC with Alabama's quarterback uh, growing there and then uh, you've got Florida's quarterback growing, both of them, are they going to get invited to New York, you know, for Heisman Trophy? Are they going into the first I think round? Mac does. Yeah. I think so. Mac Jones does. Uh, yeah. But then you got to factor in, I mean, I think Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Mac Jones, um, I think are the top three guys. Um, then you then you have a combination of ETN, Book, Ian Book. Um, you have Najee Harris, Devontae Smith, uh, Kyle Trask is in there in that mix. Um, Stetson Bennett. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the message, the, the mailman delivers. How about the kid out in the out in the, uh, North Dakota State? Uh, he, uh, Trey Lance. Yeah, uh, uh, you know that's that's a hit or miss because you know. You, a small town, small school guy. That's know. a but North Dakota State's a machine, though. I, mean, I don't know if that's a. I don't know. I mean, to see. he's so. not going to New York, but I mean, he he's gonna he's gonna play in the NFL somewhere. No, I'm mean, I'm just going to NFL. I, I know he's not in New York, but just trying to think of where he might fit and that type of thing. You know, the I Shanahan mean, trade for for Matt for uh, his quarterback at Atlanta. You know, and does that open up for Trevor Lawrence? You know, I don't I don't know. It's going to yeah. be one of the a lot, lot of possibilities. I mean, I think Trey Lance is a come in and I think he's possibly come in sit a year behind somebody. Like I think he, I think Trey Lance, if you get him in Atlanta uh, with the right head coach, I, I think you can groom him uh, behind Matt Ryan and, until they're able to to release or trade Matt Ryan if if anyone would be willing to take that contract. Um, well, I'll say this, guys: forty one million know, of dead cap space for for Matt Ryan. Yeah. So Trevor Lawrence, they're not cutting. He it. has the option of coming back next year. Does he do that, knowing that absolutely he's going not. to the New York no. Jets? Absolutely not. All of no. the, are you going to forfeit all that money, no. or or no. do you pull an Eli Manning and force them to trade you? Now he may, he may, he's got those type of bones. I mean, he, he can, he can. Do he a may lot. do that. He's not coming back to Clemson. He's done. He's at Clemson. not coming back. No. He's done at Clemson. I, I think, I think whoever the Jets hire, um, they, they've got to, they've got to evaluate what they need. They've got a quarterback. They've got Sam Darnold. He's been, he's been beat up this year, and they've just been bad, bad coaching, bad organization. Patriots may, Patriots may slide up in there and trade for him. Sub part. The Patriots they may not have to slide in. <laughs> they may finish with a bad record, bad enough record. Yeah, that's uh, right. This is going to be fun for us to talk about all this coaching chatter and who's. Yeah. Who's going to be moving where and what? What the different parts? Um, I think speaking so of SEC, speaking of SEC footprint, um, the Falcons ought to go after. If the Falcons haven't already made calls to Eric Bieniemy, I'm turning in my my Falcons gear. Don't turn it in. <laughs> I would imagine they have. Oh, how about that? They've got a new rule. Just I think it was certified and voted that a coach actually can leave his team and go ahead and take the head coaching job. Remember. They had all the coaches delaying after district or after divisional playoffs. And so now if you're a general manager, assistant general manager, assistant head coach for head coaching jobs, uh, that team will get some draft picks. So that, that opens it up. That, that, that means they can go ahead and, and start talking to guys like Eric Bieniemy and, 
and other coaches that they want to get on staff as their head coach, like Atlanta Falcons, they can make that call now, not wait till his team is finished. Because many, many times uh, the minority coaches that have been uh, candidates have had to wait as, as such as everybody. So that's going to be big. I think that yeah, just the enemy had to wait last year. I think that screwed him. Yeah. And it, you know, rightfully so, you know, people, they're just getting nervous because if they wait around and say that guy doesn't pick us and we miss this other guy. So uh, that's good that they're doing that. I like that. I really like that a lot. That, that's being proactive and that's a long time coming. That's very good for leadership. Yeah. And I think the NFL has done a tremendous job through this whole thing with protocols and things like that. Um, any surprise uh, firings uh, that, that you guys see in the, in, in the league? Are you talking about the NFL? Yep. Uh, We're the SEC footprint. Uh, yeah, not just well, the that's SEC. true. Yeah. So um, we talk at all. Yeah. Well, I like the way Miami's going. I see, uh, I see, I like Tampa Bay, of course. Jacksonville. Um, that wouldn't be a surprise, though. No, it's not a surprise, no. but I think that, that they, you know, they, they, they've done a better job. I want to say kudos to Carolina. Uh, one thing I noticed that their offensive coordinator, our he guy, be there very long. He's been he's now moved from upstairs in the booth to the sidelines. So that's key. Keep take note of that. So those Tennessee fans or those South Carolina fans or, or Auburn fans, you know, he looked pretty good in y'all school colors too. Our Vanderbilt, you know. Wow. Joe Brady, Joe Brady ain't coming back to college. I, I hate to burst people's bubble there. He he's an NFL guy. He's not coming back to college. I I would agree with you one hundred percent. Maybe maybe he will take over the Jaguars. So maybe he goes to Jaguars, you know. Maybe he goes. He's going so that, somewhere. Now that's a great hire from the, the Dave Rule. Uh, that's just been a great. What what a coach there. What a coach, man. He's done a tremendous job. I had a, I, I was a little skeptical, and and rightfully so. He got off to a you know got off to kind of a, a inconspicuous start. You know, you 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 see it. You're like, oh god, here we go. Hire another yeah. college coach. Let's. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. But he's raised yeah. but he's raised by NFL coaches. He was coached, you know, he's yeah. he's been in yeah. that in that. And he, he has. And it, and it shows. It shows the temple at, you know, in a Philadelphia a, a, a strong NFL town. Uh, you know, and then he was in Texas uh, at Baylor, which is right outside of, of Dallas, a strong NFL influx. So He's yeah. done a great job, man. Strong leadership is strong leadership. I don't care yes, what right. form or fashion it comes in. Strong leadership is strong leadership, and he's Especially done a tremendous these, job. COVID times, I mean, these these players, they need it. They want it. Uh, yeah. You know, so I, I, I see him doing great things. But uh, I think Joe Judge has done a done an admirable job for the Giants. They've gotten a little bit better each week. I mean, they're not they're not contenders by any stretch, but they're I mean they're improving. They're they're kind of like last year's Miami Dolphins, where they they start out pitiful. And then they got less pitiful each week, and you saw the, you saw the just them rebuilding different spots. Right. I think they've done a they've done a tremendous job. I mean, they guy and, and he's also done an he's excellent gone. job with uh, without his best best player. I mean, that guy's out with a knee injury. And we hope for him speedy recovery. Saying Barkley, so we want to get back in there. But you're right, and I think the Miami Dolphins in our footprint with Tua. Playing, uh, you know, there's a lot of controversy. You know, him getting back in there and getting a chance, and you know, and these coaches, that you know, that that shows you that guy knows he knows the pulse of his team, the heartbeat of his team, and this was a time to do it. They're two and zero since then. He's gotten really good reps. The team around him—that's leadership. Mm-hmm. That is leadership. 
incredible. And, and I, think rule, I, I was going to say, I think Rule's done a great job. Of all the guys you've talked about, I think Rule's the best. I mean, he has lost the best player in football for the majority of the season. Gets and him back he's this still week, been able to win, and that's yeah. McCaffrey. Yeah. And, you know, going back to Flores, I, I, he's had to deal with a decimation in his running back position. I think he, um, his top two guys, uh, Gaskin and Burita, went out. Uh, Jordan Howard has been an afterthought. Uh, he comes in. And then you have uh, another guy. I don't even know. I don't even know his name, to be honest with you. Um, but uh, they, they've kind of gotten by at that position. They've, you know, two has done a tremendous job there. And so. I think Flores has done a great job. Uh, he he de- definitely deserves a lot of kudos. Uh, Raheem Morris has, has done a good job as interim coach. I don't think he will uh, he will retain that, but I think he's done an admirable job. I think uh, you know the Titans have gotten restabilized and kind of back to what what they do and what they do well. Um, big win against the Bears, uh, Dub Bears. Uh, so they uh, you know Mike Vrabel's got them back on track. So let's talk about the Dallas Cowboys, Craig. What what do you think? <laughs> Do you think uh, they're? I guess you could consider them in our footprint uh, with uh, Texas A and M nearby. Uh, do you think McCarthy's the right guy? Do you think they? You know, do you think all this is a smokescreen that Jerry has, and they're going to fire him at the end of the year? Do, is it a failed mistake? What What do you make of this Dallas Cowboys situation? I mean, McCarthy ha- he has the he has the skins on the wall, obviously from from Green Bay. Uh, the problems are not McCarthy. It's it's a bad. It's the owner slash general manager and Jerry Jones who's made mm-hmm. some horrible, horrible signings, trades, et cetera, and they're, they're in salary cap purgatory right now. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's just, you know, that's all you have to do is look at that and, and look down the way and see how much he has paid out to people that, over, well, I'll say overpaid, and then how it has decimated parts of his team. Uh, secondary, for one, I can think of, uh, they have been torched all season. Yeah, no doubt. And and there, there's something's got to change. I, I guess until Jerry moves on, they're, they're turning into the Raiders, uh, where if anything can and will go wrong, it will. Uh, if they will make the, if they're going to make the wrong decision, they will. Um, if there's a wrong decision to be had. So, uh, but Craig, that's gonna that's gonna about do it for us. Uh, we're gonna continue to break down. Uh, we hope all the teams that are dealing with COVID issues uh, continue to heal up and, and stay safe. Uh, we hope that uh, Notre Dame has dodged a bullet there um, with uh, with beating Clemson. So I uh, want to uh, wish all those people that are dealing with COVID uh, a fast and speedy recovery. Uh, those that are still uh, trying to dodge COVID, hope you can continue to do so. Be safe. Be smart. Uh, in everything that you do, um, want to uh, want to thank uh, want to thank you and, and Kurt for joining us. Uh, Kurt jumped over to 102.5 the game. Um, if you're local here in Nashville, you can hear that. Um, Soar Athletic Trainer, look forward to seeing you guys Sunday, Craig. We, we can we can chop it up more at the at the camp and uh, look forward to training uh, the youth of tomorrow uh, in, in football and, and in life. And so, uh, that being said, uh, this is the coaching chatter uh, podcast on the believe podcast network uh, the number one podcast network for for professionals for craig ladd and kurt page i'm Corey burton uh, and so long see you later have a great day great weekend we'll see you back here for episode three goodbye 
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.